0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 132 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. And today, we have two ladies that stand shoulders above a lot of people taking care of their horses. They're really doing a good job. (music) This is Debbie Lauchs, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month. And as usual, I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. Greetings, Debbie. How are you? Good, good, thank you. We had a little bit of fun with this one. This episode was, I pulled two women that have been in the industry like their whole lives from the nutrition and health and welfare side of the industry. And I wanted to put them together in the same episode. It kind of reminded me, I think this is one of your favorite episodes, Jen. It reminded me of the Barbara Baker Pittsburgh Zoo episode that I had Janet Rose in. And these women are, you know, they kind of see everything about the horse industry from 30,000 feet up. It's really, it's really cool to listen to them that way because um, they just have a bigger vision for where animal welfare can go and how to better take care of it. But they recognize that, hey, we're just lowly human beings trying to do the best for our horses down here on earth, you know, and, and how does that, how does that work and they fortunately they're highly educated and all that but they're also in platforms that affect a lot of people so I think people yeah. are going to really be interested just like like Barbara Baker kind of sees it from a holistic animal viewpoint you know how we can take better care of animals whether they're domestic or not and that was episode 107 by the way I should throw that in there but we've had dr. Juliet Getty on before as a nutritionist and this one we're going to do an emphasis on oil and seeds and so I think people should should really get into that.
0: Anytime Dr. Getty is on I love it because she is so engaging. She makes a topic that can get very complex and kind of make your eyes glaze over and (laughs) it makes it make sense and it's science-based versus just oh well sounds like a good idea you know.
1: Yep, yeah. Yep. absolutely. And she doesn't just say there's one way to do things. She shows kind of both sides of everything too. Like, yeah, everybody says this is the way to do it. But, you know, there's downsides and upsides to everything. Balance, balance, balance. She's really balance,
2: good. Balance,
0: yeah, balance and real world. She real understands world. that we don't all good. have the same life and our horses don't all have the same lifestyle. And That's here's true. here are the parameters you can
1: use and you fit that into your program. Yeah. You're right. Oh, oh, very good. That's an excellent point. Well, anyway, I want to share everybody. I want to share if you have an Oldenburg or if you have an Old Mustang, I, <laughs> and you, in You're and everything in between. You're gonna love this episode. So
0: hang on, and we're gonna get to Juliet Getty. She comes second today, but this first chat you're gonna enjoy too because it talks all about keeping your horse happy and comfortable from the point of view of his living conditions. Is he hanging out where he likes to hang out? It's its just, again, science-based, okay. but animal welfare in a way that real true horsemen can understand that it makes sense for animal welfare versus animal welfare from the point of view of somebody who lives in New York City and in a That's 24th right. floor apartment. So really, really good stuff that you can dig your teeth into and has a lot of interesting take-homes and a lot of stuff that you can share with your friends, whether they're horsey or not. So let's get to that right after we hear from our friends at Omega Fields.
2: Hi, Joe Camp here to share about Omega Fields. Omega Fields exists to help you
1: keep your first promise to the horses you love, to care for them well. Nutrition is the foundation of a healthy life and supports all the activity that brings you and your horse so much joy. Omega-3s from flax are the cornerstone of that foundation. So, coupled with the finest ingredients and their proprietary pure-glean flax stabilization process, they created Omega Horseshine, Omega Horseshine Complete, Omega Nibblers, low-sugar and starch,
2: Omega Antioxidant, and Provenum Probiotic Soft Treats. Thousands of horses are experiencing a vibrant life with the help of Omega Fields products, including all of ours, a part of helping you keep your promise to your friends. Nutrition for a healthy
1: life isn't just their slogan,
3: it's their purpose.
1: (music) Oh, <music> Dr. Emily Weiss oversees the strategic direction of the ASPCA Equine Welfare Program, part of the ASPCA's policy, response, and engagement group. As a certified applied animal behaviorist, Weiss has worked with species as varied as lions, orangutans, elephants, and Komodo dragons, as well as many dogs, cats, and horses too. Weiss is a lifelong horse owner and trainer and has conducted research regarding adoption and rehoming of horses. This is an important point in her life at this point. Well, welcome, Dr. Emily Weiss. I am honored to have you on Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for agreeing. Oh, happy to be here. Well, you do a lot of great things, and I don't even know where to begin, but I'm going to jump in there because I'm so proud of everything that you're doing for not only the horse world, but more importantly, maybe the owner's world (laughs) and the people that affect so many horses. And, you know, when I think of interviewing someone like a VP of the ASPCA, that's, taking in a big mouthful, that sounds like a lot of responsibility. But I always sort of picture somebody in, a, in an office somewhere, you know, with lots of books around and everything. I have a feeling, though, that you might be an on the ground kind of girl. What do, what do I know about that?
3: Well, whenever I can, I am an on-the-ground type of girl, for sure. Absolutely. Whether it's uh, playing with my own horse uh, Mm -hmm. on the ground in one of the projects we have going on around the country, you know, being hands-on is a big part of it, but also being in front of the computer sometimes,
1: unfortunately. Uh, I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. It's an important position and we're glad you're, you are in both places where you are because we want you to stay mentally fresh too, <laughs> be around your <with> horses. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your horsey background. Did you grow up with horses? I did. I grew up
3: in New York and rode hunter jumpers as a uh, kid and then continued with horses my most of my life. So I've been very fortunate to be in places and careers that I was able to have horses.
1: That's perfect. New York wouldn't have been my first thought, but that's that. there are a lot of horses there. I know there are, just people don't always think There that. are. <laughs> but yeah. you've also been involved in work with other species as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, so I got my PhD in applied animal behavior and was very fortunate to land a position at a zoo heading up the behavior and research work there. And so I have had the opportunity to work with everything from Komodo dragons, to lions, to gorillas, and and camels and horses and zebras too, but worked there in zoos for many years doing exhibit design and animal training and then moved to dogs, cats, and now horses.
1: Yeah, wonderful. And uh, what's your favorite? Better say horses, right? (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I think I think horses are definitely well up there as well as the human animal, too,
1: ah, oh, very nice, very nice. and and actually that's that's a perfect segue to what I was going to say about you that i what I read from all the things that you're doing is that you're a collaborator and that you even maybe have changed the trajectory a little bit of where the ASPCA is headed to become more collaborative, not that you weren't before, but I see some really powerful collaborations and networking going on. Can you tell us what what was the reasoning a couple of years ago? I think it was 2017 where I saw a little shift.
3: Yeah. So the AFPCA took the opportunity just to kind of step back and look to see if there are ways in which we could have better impact for equines. We were already doing some great stuff, but could we Mm -hmm. find ways to have even more impact? Uh, And, you know, one of the things that was clear was, uh, we we were not necessarily engaging with all those around the country who loved horses. So there were some folks that might have disagreed on a couple of policy issues uh, that we stand on the other side of, and we weren't necessarily engaging with them. And we thought it was super important that we do, that, you know, we all come from the very same place. We all want good for horses. Wherever we stand on those issues, it's because of it's because of that. It's because we care about horses and we want the best for them. Uh, so a, a lot of our shift was around was around that to be able to figure out how we can better engage to achieve a pretty lofty goal, which is good welfare for all equines. But you know, we chose that again because it's something that we all agree on. We all want that
1: and that's a given but i can feel in your heart that you're you're reaching to other ideas and other collaborators so that there's different angles at this animal welfare thing too why in your opinion this is for you why is it important to keep horses in our lives
3: well i mean i think there's two sides of that right so there's the reason why it's important for us as human beings and there's certainly a lot of research and more being published weekly almost on the benefits of equines in our lives and the unique interactions between humans and horses, both on our physiology and our psychology Mm. that are undeniable that they are good for us, right? And that interaction that humans are able to have with equines are also good for equines. So th- that relationship goes both ways. The other reason why keeping horses in our lives is so important has to do with some of that risk, right? So being able to make sure that we are supporting those horses as they 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 change careers and they transition from one part of their lives to the next, making sure mm-hmm. that they are top of mind for us, but also that we're there for them, even if we don't necessarily own them anymore, that we become their support even when they're no longer ours.
1: Exactly. Very great answer. Thank you for that. I think that's a lot of our listeners will probably relate to that as much as anything. They all have their angles at it. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at that you have launched now the vet direct safety net program, and you've partnered with Mm -hmm. Zoetis and AEP. Tell us a little bit about that collaboration. It sounds great.
3: Yeah, we're we're so excited about it, and we we are very grateful for AAEP and partnering with us on this. But so one of one of the things that we know is a risk for for equines is that sometimes vet care for owners is not accessible. It might be to it might have hit a point in their lives which where things are just too expensive, they're not able to afford it, they can't access it, they're, they're not quite sure how to approach maybe a horse that has um, reached the end of his life and just the, the being able to afford euthanasia and disposal might be out of their reach. Mm-hmm. And so Vet Direct Safety Net was a, a pilot to see how we could best figure out how we can get to those people who have those horses who are at risk. And veterinarians are there in the community. Veterinarians are the ones who are, are mm-hmm. going to be need to treat the horse in the first place, and mm-hmm. they they certainly would love to be able to help all of those that need help, but they also need to make a living, right? Yeah. So this partnership, where the ASPCA could help support um, the the fees for those veterinarians. And the veterinarians would lean in to find those in their community seemed like a, a great thing for us to test. Mm-hmm. So it it is a pilot program right now. We have veterinarians who have raised their hands, who want to engage and find that very at-risk uh, set of clients. They are doing so. Um, and so far, we have reached about 50 horses with that program. So we're still at the starting stages. Um, but already, what we're finding is that about 50% of those horses that need help at this level, these it's a crisis. And these are horses mm. that many of them, the best option for them is, is euthanasia. So about 50% they of them waited too long. Um, yeah. The,
0: yeah.
3: Or they couldn't access the or help, they right? Just um, didn't and have in some it. cases. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. The other half of those horses so were able to be treated. They're still in the home. Uh, the owners are able to support that horse past that point. They had hit some sort of a hump. Something that that um, stopped them from being able to afford the care that their horse needed, yes. but they were. But that was something that was resolved for them. So it was a short life crisis, as opposed to necessarily something chronic. And they were able to keep that horse in their home. And you know, issues uh, like abscesses or a medical colic or dental issues were were primary within that
1: category. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, what a support system that is. And then the other side of it. These are suetus and AEP grant huge companies that or organizations that can help support and then I like how now you're reaching to other partners like the Right Horse Initiative I know you're a partner with we are as well and the American Horse Council and you've created this data collective now I know you're one of the founding members of that tell me a little bit tell us about a little bit about that
3: yeah so you know I'm surprised one of the first questions we uh, were often asked is how many horses are at risk in the U.S., right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad you didn't ask, ask that because I would have to have told you, we don't know. We don't That's know how crazy, many horses huh? are in rescues, mm-hmm. right? We don't yeah. know how many come in. We don't know how many are, are euthanized, how many are adopted each year. These are these are numbers we don't yet know. And as the folks who founded the, the collective are all organizations, AAP Foundation, the Right Horse Initiative, ASPCA, and American Horse Council are all groups that can can give support and funding and develop program in order to impact the risk. But one of the things we need to know first is what what's where are the problems? Right. So yeah. we need we need to do our diagnostics and we don't yet have the diagnostics. Right. We we can't even we're, we're at the point now where we're going to be able to draw the blood and be able to get yeah. a better understanding. Right. So that collective is, is one of the most exciting projects we have going on because it'll give us all, all of us that are interested in horses and wanting to be able to support horses, a better understanding of what's needed in in, in order for us to help support those horses.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. And, you know, we know these things about so many different industries. It is it is amazing that this is such a huge amount of horses, amount of people involved in everything, and that we we don't have it in a collective. But it kind of is one of those flat forehead syndrome things, right? (laughs) Where you go like, oh, we need it all in one spot, and you have the technology now to do it. I was really proud of you guys and so excited to see that you had a Help a Horse contest to help find more homes. And boom, a 1,000 horses, Emily? Tell me about that.
3: Yeah, so... This is one of those opportunities we had to take something that was already existing at the ASPCA, and when we pulled back to look to see how we can be more impactful, we were able to shift it, to really focus it on on that impact and, and, and helping horses in the best way we could. So the ASPCA many years ago founded a day called Help a Horse Day, it's on April 26th, and it is on that day. This is an important day for us. It's a day in which our founder, Henry Berg, had helped a carriage horse in New York City, and, and it really had some great significance for us as a date. It was a day of celebration for, for rescues, and we shifted it to be a day in which folks would look to find more homes for horses. And we didn't pick that out of the blue. We actually we did some research, a, a published study now, where we wanted to get a better understanding of what are the number of homes out there for horses. So how, how many folks would be interested in adopting a horse? Because one of the things we had heard is that you know that, that these groups are having trouble finding homes for these horses. And that research found that there was actually 2.3 million individuals who had both the capacity, so they, were, they had the resources to be able to keep that horse, but also a strong interest in adopting. Yeah.
1: Uh, So 2.3. We we can't emphasize that enough. You said 2.3 million adults who have the capacity to or and resources and and desire to help horses. That's a huge pool of resource. Yeah,
3: that's right. And that's not even help horses. That's adopting horses. Right. So the pool of those out there to help them is even much, much larger than that. But specific to adopting a horse and and being able to have a horse in in, in their home, that's a huge number. So that said to us, now listen, it's a survey, right? So we asked people what they would do as opposed to looking at the behavior of what they did. So maybe that number is off. Maybe it's off by half. But that's Mm -hmm. still a whole lot of people out there, way more probably than there are horses at risk.
1: So we have that might be, might be, but yeah, but we, you actually you actually did boots on the ground. I read that you had in two months you found homes for a thousand horses and you raised two point $2. two million dollars to support that work.
3: Yeah, yeah. So uh, so what we did is we facilitated that. So we engaged um, shelters and rescues around the country to participate in the Help a Horse Challenge contest. And we asked them to find more homes for horses. And we had prizes for those who impressed us both with the number of adoptions they did, but also the type of campaign and a video that they did. And so those groups, they they are the ones who adopted a 1,000 horses, and they raised $2.2 million um, for their organization. And that that was just the start. That was year one for us to test it. So right, right now, we're, we actually have opened up registration and would love for your listeners to make sure that the organizations in their community are engaged in, the, in this challenge. We've shifted the name. We now call it the Help a Horse Home Challenge to really focus on what we're aiming to do. And it's all about adoptions now. So the way in which the contest is won is around increases in adoption over the previous year for these groups. And already we have exceeded the number of folks um, or organizations that have registered compared to last year, but we we want to get even more groups involved.
1: That is great. I mean, here's my applause here to you guys too. And that gets people excited that it can happen too. You get a little bit of victory and show that it can happen. It reminds me of the conversation I had with Christy Counts, who is, she runs the Ride Horse Initiative and Christy schulte Capert too. All these Christies in my life that I love. And they <laughs> said, why can't we be like the... The, the movement that we've had for dogs and cats to be rescued as opposed to, and now everybody says, that's my rescue dog. You didn't hear that 20 years ago. And why can't horses be in that same genre? And it sounds like you're adopting that same attitude.
3: That's exactly right. And, I, you know, I think even, even more true with horses than, than, than maybe even dogs and cats, that these are the very same animals that are in our barns, that are competing with us, that are, you know, already part of our lives. And so I think it's just a, it's a little bit more of a direct shift even to, to have folks engage and adopt a horse. But absolutely, I think we're, we are, it's not going to take us 20 years, we're going to get there much faster uh, with forces and um, especially with partnership like with you all. I mean, the opportunities are huge. We all want, again, the same thing. And what great group of professionals to be able to make this shift
1: happen. Yes, exactly. And one thing too, this is just a little aside, but I I wanted to make sure I got it in here. The equine microchip lookup tool. I I did have people Mm -hmm. saying years ago, like, yeah, it's in there, but if the horse is lost and so, you know, how do you get it to the vet and scan it and everything? Can you tell us what the little variation you did on that to help?
3: Yeah, so so a couple of things there. So first, about the microchip lookup tool itself, that's another collaborative project that the the American Horse Council uh, is leading uh, that we were uh, able to help fund to get to fruition. And it, what it is is it it is it is simply a place in which you can put in the microchip number and be able to easily access. Um, who that horse is. So being as microchips are becoming more and more uh, the way in which we are engaging with our horses, almost many uh, breed registries and competition groups are using microchips as a way to ID horses, it gives us the opportunity to then attach even more information to these to these horses. Where it's of, of real interest and importance for us is that, Um, I had talked earlier about staying in a horse's life, even when he goes on to his next home, the microchip lookup tool and microchips in general give us the opportunity to do that, to be able to stay attached to be a piece of information, a piece of data that's attached to that number. So if he ever comes into if he needs help in the future your name can come up as somebody who can help that horse. So yeah, that's, th- so that's where we see some inc- yeah, incredible power. It's still something in the pilot and development stage. But but even now, um, if you have a microchip in your horse, um, you can add data to the registry uh, and you can put just sign yourself up to say, you know, if he leaves my life, make sure mm-hmm. if he needs help that you contact me.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, the next
3: piece, obviously...
1: Yeah, no, I, I just, I think, you know, the interpretation is, so people sometimes hesitate giving up a horse if they feel like, ah, oh, this was supposed to be my lifetime horse, and I just can't right now, but I want to know that he's gone to a good home, and if something changes in that, I want to know, you know, that that's happening, and maybe I need to take him back, or maybe I, you know, maybe he needs rescuing again, and I'm the one to do it. Um, maybe people are in a different place at that point, but I, I think that's why that's so powerful to me.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of us, you know, certainly uh, know it for me. When I think back to the horses that were in my life when I was younger, I wish I knew where they were now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wish I was there to help them had they needed help. Um, had yeah, they needed but it. it you know, it's right. e- yeah, it's, it's easy to get... For for those horses to what we call get lost in transition, right? Mm-hmm. So something happens, mm-hmm. and now I I'm no longer connected, and and the microchip can give us that that option uh, uh, ability to stay a little bit more connected. Uh, simple things like putting your uh, if you have a horse that's registered just you know even handwriting or pen writing on registration papers is is another simple way to to be able to stay in touch and make sure that folks remember who you are and if that horse does need help or a person needs help then you're then you're available to do so and that may or may not mean that you're taking that horse back in your life but mm-hmm. maybe that that where that horse ended up now Uh, that person can't afford some aspect of his care. And, you know, that horse might be at risk for that because of that. And maybe you might be able to help him, even if it just means help him have a, you know, be able to have a humane euthanasia. So, you know, these are things that, uh, tools and uh, processes that we're hoping to get in place to help, again, get to that point where all horses have good welfare.
1: Yeah, exactly. And we're we're living in this kind of a one foot in the old world, one foot in the new world right now with agriculture and raising people up around horses. And and I kind of, I was thinking about how to ask you this exactly. So you formed the, the answer that you think I should have asked. But... <laughs> Uh, horses are different than pets. They, they, you know, they're more agriculturally based. They take more room, obviously, and and there's different elements of raising horses that separate them from dogs and cats and what our normal pets are. Why are horses different than pets, and why does that matter to the ASPCA?
3: Well, I mean, I I think that focusing on where. Any individual thinks of what their horse is. So there's lots of folks who do think of their horse as their mm-hmm. pet. There's folks that that don't. I think for us, what's important is where where um, an individual thinks about that animal, and recognizing that you know whatever they classify or or call them that that they that they want the best for that horse, um, and provide the best for that horse. So you know for us, that's I think that's a central point. You know, I think recognizing that there is this there is this interesting um, cultural difference depending on where a horse is and um, what he's utilized for and, and some real opportunity for horses to be in lives and lifestyles that maybe they traditionally weren't in before. And I think we're mm-hmm. seeing some of those, you know, m- less traditional horse ownership. So whether it's a, a group of friends owning a horse together or... Mm-hmm. You know some leasing programs and foster programs that are allowing folks to engage with horses. You know who maybe just want a companion animal to groom and pet. Mm-hmm. That's that's what's important to them. So I think it really for us the classification, while it can be troubling sometimes, d- depending on where the horse is, and and in order to be able to access some other pieces of our work around anti cruelty, how a horse is classified can often change the the likelihood that um, cruelty is investigated, uh, just because there's different laws for livestock than companion animals. So, you know, I think it all depends on which lens you're looking at for the ASPCA. Uh, but for that broad, broad lens, certainly, um, we want to meet anybody where they are and where where they think that that animal fits in their life.
1: That's wonderful. Well said too. And I just, I think, ASPCA is in in my old world brain I'm older so <laughs> I think of animal welfare but I think you have changed my mind and this study to say that you are really it's not just animal welfare it's helping people with animal welfare as well and I think that actually is is leaps and bounds ahead of just animal welfare where you're being reactive you're being proactive with these things and finding good homes for horses before they even need them possibly. And I, and I love that the whole language is turned into transitioning as opposed to necessarily rescuing or even sanctuary anymore. So Emily Weiss, I love what you're doing and I hope that you have energy to do it for many, many more years.
3: <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for being with us on Horsemanship Radio and I hope we can have you back to learn more about what you all are doing.
3: Yeah, I'd be happy to be back anytime.
1: Caballo Horse, and Rider, Carol, and Greg Giles, too, have been longtime supporters of the Horsemanship Radio. And we thought, you know what? Better way to show how their support goes than through the people who buy their boots. So we have this from Brenna Eldridge on a Facebook post. I could not be happier with my decision to transition my horse to barefoot and choosing Cavallo for his hook protection. I always thought my horse just had bad feet and that he would always be lame barefoot until I realized that I was enabling that dependency. By allowing his feet to adapt back to the way that they were naturally intended, his feet have become strong and he now seems perfectly comfortable barefoot. With the added weight of a rider on rough terrain, I invested in my first pair of Cavallo boots. I went with the Trek boots, and they fit him perfectly. I was able to do anything that I could do in metal shoes, and I have no longer stress over him losing a metal shoe and damaging his hoof when removed. The Cavallo boots have provided him greater shock absorbencies when riding on hard ground and so far, whether it be on trails or in the arena, he seems extremely comfortable in his boots. I do a variety of riding including trails, gaming, and drill and I'm excited to get into the gaming season to put Truly, those boots detest. I believe that in horsemanship, you have to pick methods that make the most sense to you. And for me, that is the naturality of barefoot and the protection of the Cavallo boots. Brenna. Juliet Getty is an independent equine nutritionist with a wide U.S. and international following, too. Her research-based approach optimizes equine health by aligning physiology and instincts with correct feeding and nutrition practices. Dr. Getty's goal is to empower the horse person with the knowledge to provide the best nutrition for his or her horse's needs. Dr. Getty is the author of the comprehensive resource, Feed Your Horse Like a Horse, as well as seven topic-centered spotlights on equine nutrition series of booklets she also offers an informative e-newsletter forage for thought her website com, provides a world of useful information for the horse person hello how are you <laughs> good morning i'm good how are you
4: i'm doing well thank you this is so exciting i i can't tell you the the amount of feedback that i've gotten you know every time a recording comes out i post it on my my website and I put it on Facebook and, um, other social media and, uh, it's getting a lot of really
1: nice feedback. Oh, good. So. so are we. So are we. I think, you know, it, uh, it's a broad subject we cover here, horsemanship radio, right? But, yes. it, you know, I think this is one of those things that really people worry about. People worry, are they doing the right thing for the right area, for the right horse in the right stage of life? You know, all those things. So. It touches the yes. cord. And even though it might have nothing to do with changing leads or how we start our young <laughs> babies or right. it, it has a lot to do with how we maintain a, a good relationship and, and good health between our.
4: Well, sure. So. Well, feed, you know, food is the foundation. And you know, the old saying, you are what you eat applies to horses too. Know, so so yeah. it's a never ending. It's a vast. A subject that is always fascinating. There's I always
1: agree, something to say. I agree. And so given that, we'll get right into it too. Okay. One of the things that I see people do a lot is, um, and I probably <laughs> find myself doing it as well, is anthropomorphizing. Oh, and yes. You know that word that means that we uh, attribute human traits to our, <laughs> our flight animals, which is kind of crazy making, but... It's, it's one thing to do it with your dog or cat who live in the house with you and you talk to them. What's wrong with that? I get that. But, sure. But it's well, another thing for
4: horses. Um, that, that's a really good point. And you know, we, we tend to do that in the way that we, I think that horses are like people and that their digestive tracts are the same as mm-hmm. ours and they can do well on three square meals a day. And no, that's not the case at all. Their digestive tracts are completely different. so I try to preach
1: respecting that and feeding it accordingly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So when you get a new client or somebody approaches you and says for the first time, okay, you know, I've meant to do this. I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm giving it over to Dr. Getty. How do you start somebody? Do you start them with that education about like first first and foremost? Yes.
4: (laughs) Yes, I really do. I mean, typically people who talk to me have had a chance to read my work. So they're familiar with my approach anyway. But sometimes even though they've read it, they may not be able to implement it. So I do spend some time trying to help them understand the logic behind it because it's an, it's not enough for me to say do this. I have to explain why and then. People usually come
1: around and and see how important it is. Sure, so, that ma- it yeah. does make sense when we know the whys, isn't it? It's like when your mama sure. mama always told you to do something. I'm like, but why? Oh, okay, that makes sense.
4: <laughs> right. <laughs> right?
1: It's not enough to say do as I
4: say, but you have to do, <laughs> exactly. do the you know understand the reason why. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So, so uh, one of the things that we really haven't explored in the few times that you've been on our show too is what's a day in the life of Doctor like? Because you have these really interesting clients. And the last time we exchanged a little communication, we were talking about you possibly coming out to California. So I know that you you get around. But I don't know what that looks like for a nutritionist. I mean, you're not... Oh, yeah. yes.
4: Well, I, I don't travel as much as I used to. And I won't be coming out to California this year as I originally thought I would. Yeah. But I think my situation is very different than Others like me, though there aren't too many that are independent equine nutritionists. Most, most professionals work for particular feed companies or supplement companies. So their work life is very much like anyone else's who, you know, goes to work every day. I don't do that. I sit in my office and I'm on the computer and I'm on the phone and I'm writing and I'm talking and researching. And so that's basically what I do. I occasionally go to visit a client uh, personally, but most of the time I do it long distance and that seems to work very nicely.
1: How do you do that? So I think that sounds fascinating. So I hear ring, ring, you know, somebody calls and says, okay, Dr. Getty, I've read, I stay on your newsletter and I I, re- I read a book and I yeah. I really need your help. I can't do it. So how do you see their horse, you know, virtually? How do you you know (laughs) what they're doing?
4: Yeah, well, we talk a lot. They generally send me photographs. Mm -hmm. And then I spend a good deal of time trying to get a good idea of the big picture. So I asked the client to tell me about your horse's environment. You know, what, how much land do you have? What kind of buildings do you have on your property? What kind of life does your horse lead from, you know, the time that you get up in the morning till the time you go to bed? Mm-hmm. And if the horse is boarded, is it pasture boarded? Is it stalled? Is it, uh, how much exercise does it get? I mean, there's all kinds of questions. Do you fertilize your land? Do you have your own pasture? Do you grow your own hay? Do you, Get hay from elsewhere. What do you know about that hay? Uh, those kinds of things. I spend a lot of time trying to get as much information so I can put together a good picture, so that I can work in giving recommendations that fit mm-hmm. with what that person needs. Because for me to give one set of recommendations to a, a horse owner who boards uh, boards for horse may not work, whereas it may work if the horse is in the
1: backyard you say so exactly exactly and what about how often does your client actually do the feeding and the care for the horse versus having somebody that they have to rely on in a barn to do that for them
4: Oh, I guess it just depends on... Yeah, what's the proportion? I think it's about 50-50. Yeah, 50-50. <laughs> uh, 50-50. Yeah, a lot of my clients have to board their horses, and that brings up a whole mm-hmm. slew of frustrations. It's very difficult to rely on somebody else to take care of your animal. But then there are others that are very fortunate and can have their horses either close by or in their backyard, some of my clients live out in Idaho and Montana and have acreage, and it's yeah. a beautiful situation. So it really varies. I try my best to to help the horse owner meet them
1: where they are. Mm-hmm. That's basically what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you're part you know, I don't want to say psychiatrist, but <laughs> let's <laughs> well, call counselor. Do offer support.
4: I do. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I'm obviously working with the horse owner and not the horse. Right. So, <laughs> and so yes, it's, it, I try to come up with solutions for the, for the yeah. horse owner that they can implement and it's not always easy. So we try to look for the best mix, but and providing support is definitely what
1: I do absolutely yeah yeah good holding our hands is what I would call it but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and how often do you have to tell people to adjust for the regions that they're in because they just you know they picked up a book and it's perfect for a mountainous region but they are living in you know Arizona in the desert After yeah that, yeah.
4: Well, analysis of the hay is very helpful, you know, so what they're feeding, and particularly looking at minerals in the hay that can vary, like you mentioned Arizona, Arizona tends to be low in copper and zinc, and, you know, areas in the middle of the country tend to be high in selenium, you know, so I I, I like to know that, because that helps me in, in making recommendations on how to supplement the diet, But And then you have different kinds of amounts of rainfall, humidity, cold, hot. Yeah, I talk a lot about plant science to help people understand if they have pasture, how to manage that pasture and how to feed, especially if they have an insulin resistant horse, for example, one prone to laminitis how they can, you know, utilize their pasture and not just let it sit and mow it every week, you know, right. because uh, they would love to have their
1: horses out there. And so I try to help them do that. Yeah. And, and I guess the last question is, do people often on, on clients things is I'm just, uh, I get a lot of questions for people like, how does that work? So, and yeah. do you, do you, is it usually a one-off thing or do you kind of continue the relationship is, are they on an ongoing basis? Oh, yes. Extra, yeah.
4: Oh, I have clients that I've worked with for years and have followed me with all my moving. I've moved all over the place lately. But... Yes, it's a long-term relationship. And some of them, you know, eventually peter out. I'll, occasionally, I will hear from a client that I worked with 10 years ago, has a new horse or the same horse. Mm-hmm. Now is older and needs more help. And so it, it varies. But yes, of course, I establish a relationship with the person and we generally continue to meet every few months just to follow up and see how things
1: are going. Excellent. Good. Well, yeah. today I, I wanted to get into a, a discussion of, about oils. This is something you brought up and mm-hmm. uh, you're the expert. So I'm going to let you just, you know, take off with this. But for me, it was fascinating that you had written that as well as feedstuffs high in fat such as ground flax and chia seeds there's mm-hmm. there's other oils and that you wanted to discuss coconut oil and and some of the things that are good and bad about feeding oils to horses but we can start off with the with the assurance that oils are important in a horse's diet correct
4: Oh, absolutely. Most people don't even think about the fat content of the diet. You know, they're focused on the sugar and starch maybe if they have a metabolic issues or they're focused on protein if they have an athlete. But, you know, fat is a really important component because certainly it provides a concentrated source of energy. But more importantly, there are fatty acids that the horse cannot produce. These are, these are called essential fatty acids and there are two of them that the horse's body cannot make. So therefore they must be in the diet. And without them, the horse can suffer from a vast variety of disorders, including immune function or hormone imbalance. Blood vessels don't work properly. Uh, joints don't work properly. There's inflammation throughout the body. Yikes. And so they have to be provided. So if the horse is getting fresh living pasture, grasses that are, you know, in a healthy growing season, then that horse is getting lots of these two essential fatty acids. If the horse is eating predominantly hay or at this time of year, maybe all hay, mm-hmm. then there's none there's no essential fatty acids in, in hay any longer. Once mm-hmm. that fresh grass is cut and dried and stored, it it, it loses these essential fatty acids by oxidation. Mm-hmm. Um and so we have to put them in the diet. We do. And there's various ways to do that. Good.
1: Yeah. Well, tell us about that because I think at this, at least I know in the Western United States, hay is getting more and more difficult to find and good hay even harder. And certainly uh, we've hoped that we've stored quite a bit already and we're not under snow here, but we're under a lot of rain. So I don't think there's a lot of horses out. The lucky mm-hmm. ones are. <laughs> so tell sure. us, tell us what we should be supplementing then with if we've got stored up dry hay. Sure.
4: Well, all hay is, you know, dry but of course a long if you, I mean, the first stored. time when it's when it's uh yeah. <laughs> when it's a month old yeah mm-hmm. there's there's some but you know it's exposed to heat and air and moisture and all of those things uh, oxidize these fatty acids well let me just tell you the names of them one of them is called alpha linolenic acid which is ALA. Mm-hmm. this is an omega-3 fatty acid and the second one is called linoleic acid which is an omega-6 and I'm not going to bore you with what omega-3 and 6 means. It has mm-hmm. to do with the chemical structure. But right. basically speaking, we have an omega-3 and an omega-6. And the, if we look at the ratio of these two fatty acids in living grasses, we find that there is about three to four times more omega-3 than omega-6 in in a natural feedstuff like fresh living grasses. So we want to then supplement the diet with something that's going to duplicate that ratio. And so since hay has none, we look for fats sources that do. Unfortunately, and this is a really big problem, the fat that's in commercial feed. So like say somebody says, oh, I'm feeding if you're a senior or I'm feeding triple Crown, or I'm feeding neutrino or whatever, there's all I mean, there's there's hundreds of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's enough fat in my feed. Well, where is that fat coming from? Mm-hmm. Most of the yeah. time, if you look at the label, it's coming from soybean oil, oh, or right. sometimes it'll say vegetable oil, which is an, another way of saying soybean oil. Yeah. <laughs> so soybean oil is used because it is inexpensive. Um, it's easy to handle, and so they add it to horse feeds. Now, unfortunately, the amount of omega-6s in soybean oil is about 75% compared to about 7% of omega-3s. So you can see that there's a lot more omega-6s than 3s, which is just the opposite of what you want.
1: Right, way out of balance. Oh,
4: yeah. uh, very much so. And when you have more omega-6s than 3s, it causes inflammation. And inflammation is insidious. It damages just about every part of the body. And I could go on about that, but it does, can lead to Christian's disease down the road, maybe prematurely. It can lead to leptin resistance, can inflame the joints, the muscles, the eyes, the digestive tract, and so on and so on. So, Adding things like flax or chia, even hemp seeds, Mm -hmm. or oils like uh, hemp seed oil or camelina oil, flaxseed oil, these will
1: provide omega-3s
4: for your horses. Okay.
1: And we didn't say coconut oil in there. Do do some companies actually add coconut oil too? Is that considered a vegetable oil?
4: Well, it's, it's vegetable. It's not, it's not animal. So it's definitely, it's, it's definitely a plant. However, coconut oil, coconut oil has gotten a lot of um, press lately, maybe not so much in the recent months, but it was very hot. It was very hot item for a long time. Coconut oil does not, I repeat, does not (laughs) contain any essential fatty acids. There you go.
1: Okay, so this is not meeting the horse's needs for the fatty acids no, if you see not. coconut oil in yours. Okay.
4: Now, some people will feed coconut meal, copra meal, and coconut meal does contain coconut some coconut oil, and it's a source of protein. But it's not to be considered a fatty source that okay. will meet your horse's essential fatty acid needs. That's real important to understand. Okay, so it's not
1: destructive necessarily, but yeah. it's not going to meet your fatty acid requirements. For your right, right, okay. absolutely. Okay, and those inflammatory conditions, I think everybody, you know, it, that's just sounds scary, and I think everybody would stay away from that. So nobody wants inflammatory in anything, even a young horse. So. Adding the right oil or seeds to the diet. What do we do for that? I, I want to reduce the incidence of equine cushing's, and I, and I sure. don't want an obese horse, but I do want to feed them something that's balanced, and I want to be able to do it, maybe even if I'm not the one feeding. So what?
4: Yeah. Well, flax ground flax seeds are the most common. They're the least expensive of the seeds. <clears throat> but when you feed ground flax seeds, first of all, you don't want to feed whole flax seeds. Let me make mm-hmm. that clear. Some people will buy whole flax seeds and feed them. If you do, you're wasting your money was say it goes right through. Right? <laughs> it does, and they okay. chew them. And if you've ever seen a flax seed, it's tiny, you know, so they're not going to chew it adequately, and so that that outer hull um, is not digested until it reaches the hind gut. And then the bacteria that live there can digest it. But unfortunately, they can't, the The protein and the fat content of the seed pulp cannot reach the bloodstream. So that's a waste. So you want to grind them, but preferably get a stabilized product because if you grind them yourself every day, you could do that. It's very, you know, labor-intensive. But you can't grind more than a day's worth because they start to go rancid almost immediately. Right. So I usually recommend feeding about a half cup of ground flaxseed per 400 pounds of body weight, okay. something like that. If your horse has um, a lot of um, allergies or skin problems, for example, then you could go up to oh two to You know, two to three cups a day, you could do that. Mm -hmm. Though I don't usually like to feed quite that much on a regular basis, just short term. See, chia seeds are also, the, the thing about chia seeds is that they form a really nice soothing gel, They're high Mm -hmm. in water-soluble fiber, Mm -hmm. and it forms a gel. So when you add water to them, they kind of make like a pudding. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. And so that's very soothing to the digestive tract for the horse. And they weigh more than flax, so the dosing is a little different. Instead of a half cup, it would be a quarter cup per 400 pounds.
1: Does it stay in the digestive system longer, chia versus flax? Is there any difference that way too?
4: No, not really, because they get, when they when they hit the digestive juices of the mm-hmm. stomach and they start to break down mm-hmm. the acid in the stomach starts to break down the protein that's why just to digress for a moment very important to allow your horse to produce stomach acid there are a lot of people that <clears throat> give their horses antacids or omeprazole mm-hmm. and, and Good point. that is so damaging because it prevents the horse from digesting protein so you will have an undernourished horse if you do that. Another subject perhaps for another day. <laughs> it
1: would be a good one. You're absolutely right because people think they're doing the right thing by that. I I know the, the mentality if they're worried about stomach acids and ulcers and things too. So we should talk about that on another day. Yes. Um, people people always want to do what's right for the horse. Why would they, that'd be silly to say that they wouldn't. Why? So, um, yeah. So these seeds, ground flax and chia seeds can actually help with that whole process of getting not only the fatty acids in the system, but uh, can do good things for the coat and the skin and, and other things Absolutely. that oils do for, for our bodies that are good.
4: Because they're high in protein. And so when you feed these, these are what we call whole foods. So go with a clean product, preferably organic or a non-GMO, and let your horse get the benefit of not just the essential fatty acids, but the protein and the naturally occurring vitamins and minerals.
1: So, that- perfect. Yeah. And remember, this is horsemanship radio. This is what improves your horse's behavior and is appropriate for their ages, how they feel. And so, for the overall health of your horse and to get a better training session out of your horse, mm-hmm. help them with what Dr. Getty is, is saying and plug into Dr. Getty and, and her, um, informative newsletter. It's a wonderful newsletter called Forage for Thought. And I just love how your brain works, Dr. Getty. And I know you care for our horses. So I appreciate <laughs> it. How do people get a hold of you? Thank you. Yes, you can visit
4: my website at com. Click on the library while you're there. I do have articles also on camelina oil and hemp seed oil, which are other wonderful sources mm-hmm. of essential fatty acids. And I have a wealth of
1: information on my website, most of it available free of charge. Yes, you do. And thanks again for joining us, Dr. Getty. We'll check back soon and get Thank on to those other subjects we haven't covered yet.
4: Yes, it was a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Debbie.
1: Thank you.
2: Whisper Listen, you don't have to say word.
0: It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty.
2: Leave this world a better place, and learn. The magic in the language of the Dear Monty, I was recently looking for a horse to buy. I wanted a gated horse, so I visited a stable that specialized in American saddlebreds. I was shocked when I saw what they did with the feet of these horses. They were grown out to a length triple normal and standing straight up as if they were on stilts. I asked what this was for, and they said it was to encourage them to pick up their feet higher with each stride. Do you agree with this form of foot care? Monty's answer absolutely not. When I was young and still working with my father, I was asked to show American Saddlebred gated horses for a particular client. I did it and I loved the horses that I showed. They were generous and cooperative. I won major championships in the gated horse division, but not a day passed without my questioning the way they were shod. Every time I raised this question, I got the same answer. I was told that it was necessary to do it this way or one couldn't win. And I recall, saying over and over again, why don't they change their rules? Obviously, I was never given an appropriate answer to this question. Today, much is being done to move gated horses away from the extreme measures of the past. I love competition, and of course, it's fun to win, but I think we owe a responsibility to our horses to create conditions within our competitive efforts that are respectful to the health, welfare and comfort of the wonderful animals we regard as our partners in competitive efforts. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to
1: www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says get free horse tips.
2: Hi, I'm Monty Roberts and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too on my Equus online university, Western English English. The beginner or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online too, on our forums, and there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? <laughs>
0: Where in the world is Monty Roberts?
1: Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. April 29 through 30, The Movement. That's my baby. I love it. It's a symposium at Flag is Up Farms in Solvang, California. Go to themovement2019.com for all that information. Then May 1 through 3, Right following those days, we will have the equine-assisted introduction to motivational interviewing in solving. And we have its founder, Motivational Interviewing's founder, that's Dr. William Miller, and facilitator, a 30-year veteran of motivational interviewing, using horses to assist to learn how to have changed behavior. It's very cool. We've done it twice already. It's good. May 25 is a night of inspiration at Flag is Up Farms. This is one of our more popular events all year long. So that's May 25, a Saturday night. July twenty-second through 26, we have Amani's special training in, well, he'll speak English, but it will be translated into Portuguese. So that'll be at the farm in California. Then July 29th through August second, we have Amani's special training. All English. And then August 5th through sixteen, we have a Gentling Wild Horses course. That's the one that Jamie's taken. And that's the one that Jen is going to eventually come and take (laughs) that course.
0: Here we go. And if you could not commit all of that to memory and who could, because it's a ton of stuff, you can find all of that and more at MontyRoberts.com. Or we can give the folks at Flag is Up Farms a call at 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, that would be episode 132, you can go to HorsemanshipRadio.com where you will find links, photos, and more information about our guests. We love your feedback, folks. That's what makes this show great. You can follow Monty Roberts on Facebook, Monty Roberts, the one with the little blue check mark. That's the official page. Go there, like him, friend him, follow him. And when you have ideas about things we can cover or folks we can chat with on the show, you can put it there or you can email Flag Up Farms via MontyRoberts.com. If you like to live your life 150 characters at a time, you can follow Monty on Twitter, Monty underscore Roberts, or on Instagram, Monty Mm -hmm. underscore Roberts again. Get the app. Don't miss any shows. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Download the app. Show your friends who are a little bit less tech savvy than you are how to do it, too. Or you can subscribe via iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. Take it away, Debbie.
1: That's right. Many thanks to our sponsors, too. That's Omega Fields as our title sponsor. Cavallo Horse and Rider, our show sponsor. And com, are everything. Be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network at com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours.